Welcome to On the Soul's Terms podcast. I'm your host, Chris Skidmore. And very excited today to introduce or to reintroduce a special guest, Brian Clark, for his second appearance on the show. We really have a, a good time today talking about Hermes or Mercury and uh, a beloved figure for both of us feeling um, the element of being children of Mercury for today at least. And and yeah, I said uh, at the end of last podcast that I would have, bio, have Bio Akamalafe on the show this week. Um, something came up for him and he was unable to join me, but he will be with us uh, for somewhere in the middle of July there. So look forward to that one as it comes out soon. And I just wanted to introduce Brian a little bit more formally and tell you a little bit about him. Um, as some of you will know him and some of you will not. So Brian Clark, and this is from his website, which I really recommend going to if you're interested in astrology and mythology and the classics. Um, His website is astrosynthesis.com.au. He has so many articles and such a generous offering of his life's work on there. Um, So I really do recommend to go there and I'll leave a link in the show notes to go and find him. Um, Brian Clark began his study of astrology in 1972. He has served as national president of the Fraternity for Canadian Astrologers, the FCA, and the Federation of Australian Astrologers, the FAA, as well as the chairman of the Association of Professional Astrologers, the APA. He has twice received awards from the FCA. Uh, He's received the Education Award from the FAA and has been nominated four times for an International Regulus Award and twice for the Charles Harvey Award, which is from the Astrological Association of Great Britain. He's the author of many books, so many books, uh, uh, which have been translated into French and Chinese, and many, many articles of his have been translated also into Spanish, French, Italian, Japanese, and German. Um, a couple of his more well-known, perhaps, books is um, Soul, Symbol, and Imagination, The Artistry of Astrology, and uh, a book called From the Moment We Met, The Astrology of Adult Relationships, um, Vocation, The Astrology of Career, Creativity, and Calling, and The Family Legacy, as Astrological Imprints on Life, Love, and Relationships. So many uh, books and publications to choose from. I really recommend going and having a look. He's registered with the FAA. He has an accredited astrology te- as an astro- accredited astrology teacher, and has also been honoured with life memberships from three astrological organisations: the APA, the FAA, and the Victorian Astrologers Association. Brian has his MA and MBA honours in classics and archaeology from the University of Melbourne, and for 20 years he conducted tours to the ancient sacred sites through Odyssey tours to Greece. He has taught astrology for the past 40 years and lectured in Asia, Australia, Europe, and North America. He continues to do his amazing work in the world, currently teaching a course at the Melbourne Jung Society called Rewilding Psyche. So that's Brian. Um, as we were doing our podcast on Mercury and Hermes, we, we sort of hit the ground running and, and forgot a few formalities. Um, Mercury was was banging at the door and wanting to come in straight away. 
Um, and as such, we, we forgot to do our land acknowledgement. So um, as requested by Brian, I've, I'm, going to, I'm going to do them for both of us now. I'm, I'm tuning in from Bali in Indonesia. And you can hear the sounds of Bali in the background of our podcast today. It was uh, the middle of the day, a busy day here at my house. Um, a few fun things going on. And so you can hear uh, the people of the village. You can hear uh, the sounds of nature. And you definitely hear the the interactions of the birds that comes in and out of the podcast. So I invite you to listen into the background of the podcast for the sounds of Bali. Um and for Brian, he's in Tasmania, and he's asked me to acknowledge and pay respects to the Tasmanian Aboriginal people as the traditional and original owners and continuing custodians of that land from which he talked, and he acknowledges the elders past, present, and emerging. So enjoy the show. If you are enjoying, I recommend uh, going, to the, going to Patreon and showing your support there patreon.com slash on the souls terms and um and please always feel free i i always appreciate feedback um of any kind uh if you, whether that's sending an email or a message on facebook instagram or through my whatsapp business account um it's all there on the website on the souls terms.com and yeah, truly, it's appreciated. I'm always trying to make the podcast better and more relevant and uh, more magical. So without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Brian Clark, and I'll see you next time. Welcome to On the Soul's Terms a podcast exploring psychology, astrology, and mythology. Brian, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much, Chris. Um, I'm smiling because I know we're going to talk about Hermes, and the trickster is alive and well today in me. And I thought maybe I'll just hit, sit here in silence, <laughs> <laughs> which is one of the things that, that maybe Hermes would really like. What would the silence <laughs> tell us? But thank you for welcoming me back. And I promise to behave as much as possible. <laughs> well, behave and then also don't behave. And, and that's, the, that's where the delight will find us in this podcast. So thank you. Brian, we are talking about Hermes today, and Brian and I have do just done a little preamble with each other, talking about all these different things, and I feel like he's already taken us on several different pathways, and then in and back out, and um, so I I feel somewhat hesitant to put it in Hermes slash Mercury's hands, but also I am looking forward to seeing where he might take us. He might lead us on. For all we know. He might. He might. <laughs> well, he might lead us on, you know, he he's always recognizable by his traveler's hat, isn't he? And he's always mm -hmm. recognizable by his sandals. Um, and so he, he's a traveler and he's a traveler of the roads, but he's also a traveler of spirit. So um, I'm sure if we um, 
honor him, he'll take us down both those roads. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the images that's really sat with me since doing the, doing the episode last week on Hermes Mercury one of the Im- images that's actually come up a bit in in sessions and in uh, in my therapeutic work actually are these bees um the the oracle of the bees it just keeps coming back around and it's such a fascinating image that that every time i go back to it it's telling me something new in a way the bees and the 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 three sisters yeah yeah well these of course were were the the oracles, um, also to the Melissa, the bees, the Melissa, mm-hmm. uh, and, and also to situated in, in the caves of Delphi, above Delphi, Parnassus. They were at the top of um, Mount Parnassus at the, in, the original, um, in the original cave of the oracle, which is um, where, well, not today where Delphi is, but right at the top of the mountain. Yeah, and so the bees were very much connected to divination, and um, certainly I would say that Mercury is also part of part of that whole process. Yeah, and this idea of the of the honeyed ambrosia and the these three sisters, which is obviously a, an image that takes us to the fates and um, and the muses and different. I don't know, it just takes us in a few different directions, even in itself, that there's three sisters that are the, these, um, these bee oracles. And the idea that, uh, that when, when nourished by the honeyed ambrosia, they're, they're feeling, um, they're feeling good and they'll lead you to the right place. And when malnourished, they could take you anywhere. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So the three, of course, so is a very lunar number. Um, the sense of the Trinity, um, you know, so we all, we saw all the kind of goddesses, so not only the fates, but we saw the furies, we saw the horae, um, you know, the sense of the original seasons, um, we're all really basically in the form of, uh, of Trinity, of three, threesome. Of course, four becomes much more um, uh, kind of, kind of, when you step more concrete, so to speak, the miss- when the missing the missing one is is placed in, but when you have three, I think you're in the realm of the moon. It's more lunar, mm. or perhaps is more uh, more solar. Yeah, this, I, I'm remembering because on a couple of my trips to Greece, we took the the um, group right up to the top of Mount Parnassus into this very cave, and um, people left votif offerings there of honey. You know how you get the little honey in the oh. in the plastic jars, and there was honey all over because it was in that cave. Um, where, where, yes, if they were nourished, as you said, there was a sense of being able to be spoken. They could have a voice from another world. Mm. And I think that's part of the material thing of connecting the two worlds, isn't it? The above world yeah. and the below world. Yeah. yeah. And, and we can also honor him uh, also because he was born in a cave. Um, and I remember very, very, this is a, a, a strong memory, <laughs> Uh, I may have told you this before, but one of the trips we also took, I took the, um, the group to the cave of Hermes, which is in Arcadia. And um, we had to sort of climb along rocks and down the hill. You're not allowed to get in the cave, but of course I did. Um, but when I, uh, I came out of the cave, I was standing on the mountain where the cave of Hermes is, and I could see across the Gulf of Corinth to Parnassus, where the very cave where these Melissa, as you're talking about, and where also Apollo was. 
And at that moment, I recognized how, how Apollo and Mercury were so closely linked to one another, hmm. that both, both their caves are, are, are visible for one another if, if, in the imagination, so to speak. But also, my eyes could see the very mountains of, of Delphi from where I stood at hmm. the cave of Hermes. So I've always seen they have a strong connection, these two gods. And of course, Apollo, <clears throat> as we know, took over divination more in a sense of, uh, in a sense, if you will, of always needing someone else, a Pyth uh, the Pythia, to, to, to have that oracle for him. Whereas, of course, more in a hermetic sense, I think we find the oracle within ourselves. Mm. I mean, I'm just taken to that the 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 negotiation in the story between Apollo and and Hermes there of the and and in Apollo as well. That's it, he he just is like, no, you can't have. That's one. No, you can't have that. You can't have the oracle. That would be that would be not okay. And he's like, not even I know. And you know, it's for the mind of Zeus, which maybe is it comes back comes back to Metis and. I'm also remembering on um, on Zeus and Hera's wedding day, isn't there a gift? Of, Melissa is is part of the gift of honey to Zeus and Hera on their wedding day. Is that is that also kind of a link here? I don't know that reference, but sure, it would make sense. It would make sense. Yeah. They were looking for like the most delicious thing to have at the at the banquet, and um, and and the first person that came back was was Melissa. But there's something around that. It's like a how the bee got its sting sort of story, some of these stories that get embedded or pulled into yeah. Greek mythology, maybe. But, but when you go to Greece, you know, and, and you're in Greece and you lie in the grasses <laughs> in the countryside, the bees are just everywhere. Are the they? bees in the snakes, yeah. So you can really, you really get the sense of how the bees are so alive, you know, in, in the land of, yeah. of Greece. So, mm. of course, there'd be many stories. And, of course, the bees are... Um, the bees circulate, uh, they create the honey, they, they have that droning noise. The, you, can, you can imagine, if you use your imagination, you can imagine lying in a field with deep grasses and hearing the, hearing the bees all around you, mm. getting pollen and so on. Mm -hmm. and, um, and, 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 and imagine, and once you start imagining that, you start to have feelings and senses arise. Yeah. It's... Um... It, it's, it takes me, yeah, this, this relationship of, of Hermes and Apollo, the relationship between them, that, that my mind sort of wandered into that just then of, the, of in Apollo's world, that kind of knowledge is for up here in a way, like up on Mount Olympus. And of course, Hermes is like, but I want that knowledge here in the, I want that here in the marketplace or here in, the, in, the, in this realm kind of thing. Yeah. And and yeah, it's just like sparking for me the um, the connection to hermeticism and to the alchemists and for and to these 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 ones who go towards towards a felt experience or gnosis or a, or a, or a, you know start tinkering with things to actually get to the bottom of it all and and that being very hermetic versus maybe Apollo would rather us just kind of look up and and uh, pray to the sun god and and give it back to the sun god kind of thing well i think apollo um through using the pythia he, he yeah he would he, his voice is 
is um, is an intermediate voice, so to speak. So so we're 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 cut off from the God. Um, but Hermes knew how to lead us to the God. That's what he'd mm. always do. It's like he's not the therapist, <laughs> but he knows where the therapist lives. I'll take you there. <laughs> right. And um, and always his stories. I love the stories because he always appears at that moment on a crossroads. You know, there, there's certain conditions when he appears. He appears when it's dark. Usually mm. the sun is already already set. Um, he he appears where there's crossroads. And he, he usually appears from the shadows. That's uh, many of the stories that are told about him. So, so it, when we're on a crossroads, you know, when, when we're in the dark places of ourselves, when we, you know, when we're in that place, that's when he appears to us. And that's when he, 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 he says he can take us to these places. Now, he's not going to stay with us. He's not going to stay with us there. So um, we were talking about the 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 uh, last book of the Iliad just before we started um, how how Hermes um, appears to Priam just as Priam's crossing the river he's leaving the citadel of of Troy and he's taking his wagon by himself going down to the camp of the Greeks to ask Achilles to release um, Hector his son his, his dead son's body so he can be buried properly. And imagine, here's this Trojan going in the camp of the Greeks. It, 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 it's not a good look. And all of a sudden, he crosses the river. The sun's just set. Um, he's in the dark. And Hermes comes out of the shades with, you know, dressed as, a, as an old man and said, I will guide you down there. Guides him down and actually even gets him into the camp of Achilles and then disappears. Mm. And once the, negoti- the negotiations take place and, and um, Achilles gives um, Priam Hector, Hector's body, and he leaves the camp. There is Hermes once again to take him from the camp up to the citadel. I've always found that image very profound because that to me is very Mercury. He, he appears just when we need him. Not when we need him, but, but when the ego needs him, but when the soul needs him, he's there. So that's why he's always known as a soul emissary. You know, he, he leads us down into sleep. He leads us up from sleep. We were talking about he... He guides the souls, and he's mm. always been known as that kind of souls right from the beginning. So, you know, and what you're saying there is that as guide to the underworld and also the guide to the sleep realm, it's mm. such a fascinating, you know, I, I do see him as, as you're talking about him here as that uh, intermediary God. Like you say, he'll show you where the God is. He'll, he'll present you to the, to the God. He'll take you where you need to go. And then disappear, and that's his role. But I, but I'm fascinated in that area as we were talking before we started on the, um, on his relationship to sh- to sleep, and the transition into and the transition out of sleep. Yeah. Well, he was always connected to sleep, as we were talking about um, through through the sense of the the wand. You know, he had he had the caduceus, but he also had. Uh, another one, which was, you know, allowed when he waved that, he would put people to sleep. So he induces sleep. He induces sleep. You know, when when our brain is too tired <laughs> and wants to go back into body, or when it's time to sleep, he he calls us into sleep and he takes us he takes us down. So he he was he was called the hypnagogic. So hypnagogic, we sort of get that kind of sense that of of him mesmerizing us into sleep, and then hypnopompic, he takes us out of sleep. Now, that's the transition. So that transition is from day, the day world to the night world. 
isn't it? Mm. Like, so we have to go from the day to the night, and and every and every time we do that, we have to cross a node or a cusp, you know. And that cusp is just that cusp of dusk or dawn. Um, and as and he that's where he is because that's where he is in the heavens. We never can see him more than twenty eight degrees away from the sun, so we never really see him. Mm. Most astronomers never see. All the mm. old astronomers never saw Mercury because they lived too high north or too many mountains. To cut a long story short, I guess what I'm saying is Mercury is on the liminal, he's threshold. He, he dwells in the threshold. Mm. He doesn't dwell high in the sky or low in the underworld. He dwells in the threshold and he's there to take us down into night and bring us up from night. That's where, to me, he's very, very powerful in that transitional zone. Um, and as we were talking before, there's a lot of research being done about these hypnagogic states where when we're in that transitional zone, liminal zone between the night world and the day world or waking and sleeping, we have many, um, we could call them hallucinatory experiences, but I would say it's more just hermetic experiences, random thoughts, random images mm. that come in, you know, that are leftovers. And that actually probably get more processed process as we go deeper into sleep. And then as we wake up, we have the remnants from our dreams that are still waiting, waiting, to, <laughs> waiting for us, waiting for us. And, and we get those as we wake up. And then we wake up into, into the light. And I just wanted to say that that's why it's really important, Donna Mercury, you know, how, how important sleep is yeah. and how important it is to put us to sleep. If we really honor Mercury, we're saying that sleep is an essential aspect of our learning. Sleep is an essential aspect of our knowing. Sleep is an essential aspect of, of, of the divinatory world hmm. through these hallucin hallucinatory and, and dream experiences that we have. It's so, such a powerful image. Um, I hadn't really thought about because he's only 28 degrees maximum from the sun, then we only see him... Um, where we, I guess we can only see him just after sunset or just before sunrise, depending on where he is. Yep. And so he really is leading, a, like even in, even in the mythic uh, world of the solar system or the mythic world of, of seeing the stars, he, he, he's just there to lead us down in, into the night world or just there to lead us back up. And, and it's so fascinating, isn't it? That's why astrology is just such a, a wonderful uh, art form when these images are shown in the in the stars themselves and the planets themselves and we get to sort of oh, like yeah, you know pontificate absolutely. about that think about that and right now of course it just right now as we're speaking you know, 24th of, of, of june that'll happen but the, but there is a string of them now like pearls mm. <laughs> in, in the morning sky you know so if you get up before the sun you know you'll see you'll see there uh, that uh, mercury um, and and the, the wonderful string of planets um, that that are in the sky, so it's very as yes, it's very difficult to see Mercury, because of course you know we never get really quite a clear horizon. Um, you know, there's always mountains and also there's always clouds up and down lingering yeah. around that horizon as, <laughs> as the sun's coming up. Um, Mercury, Mercury, if you're very mercurial, we tease in astrology might like to chat a lot, but my experience in mercurial is we like to hide a lot as well. You know, we like to hide a lot. We don't like to be seen. We'll tell a good story, but we won't be telling our stories. <laughs> you know, we'll be telling, we're telling, we're telling the more the, the, the archetypal stories. Um, 
And so I think that's that's another aspect of, of Mercury is that he's he is that strong um, transitional image, but he's also quite a trickster, not what mm. he always seems to be mm. as he appears on the road of our lives. And if we take that into, I, I really like what you're saying about. I just want to hold that um, that sleep is an important part of our learning process. There's such a deep truth to that, you know. There's such a there's such a powerful truth to that. I think it's the that's something in the exchange between Apollo and Hermes. Um, we can we can sit with that because, you know, I used to work as a teacher in Taiwan. I I spent five and a half years teaching there, and um, I was teaching English, and I had kindergarten students, and then all the way up to twelve year olds. And when I first started there, I was teaching at what they called cram school. That was the name, cram school. It always, like right from the outset, I was I was not feeling good about working at a cram school. I I loved teaching kindergarten. I that was a really beautiful time and and connecting with those little kids. But cram school, which is between five and nine p.m., and uh, often the kids that would come in, especially the really little ones. They've been learning all day, you know, yeah. in the in the Chinese style, very rote learn style, and uh, learning all day. And then they just drag themselves in, these cute little kids trying to do their best, trying to be, you know, uh, good kids. And then sometimes just kind of like barely holding their eyes open. And I'm, and I'm tasked with the job of sort of cramming more information in. And it, and it always felt like, I don't know, just not just something so off about that. And and when you say about Hermes and the sleep side of Hermes, uh, it's so essential for learning. It's like, that's what those kids were. Ultimately, it's like the bees being um, malnourished in a way. Well, it's interesting. Oh, there's many things. <laughs> Let me see if I can, <laughs> I can go where and follow you. Um, but when you said between 5 and 9 p.m. that you're teaching these students, well, we know, um, depending on what season it is, and tie on probably at that time, time, it depends on the time of the year, but we know that the sun is probably somewhere in that, you know, eighth coming into the seventh house. It may have even set if, 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 if it's 9 p.m. And we know yeah. that Mercury is going to be nearby. So I would, mm. I would think, think that here you are teaching these kids as the sun and Mercury, you know, are in the seventh and, um, and sixth houses when, 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 hold it, they want to set. They want to mm. set. They want to go to the night world. They want to transition. Um, I mean, those classes, those classes would been great if you were helping them transition out of the day <laughs> into the night, but you're trying to still pack them full with, uh, with, other, with other information. And, and Chris, this is, what, this is what our culture is about, isn't it? Because what's happened is, is in our tradition, Hermes has lost his connection to the moon, which, which was always there. But, mm. So that if you... If you, if you think about um, the connection of Hermes to the moon. What I mean by that is Hermes to the more uh, lunar side of nature. Uh, so in, in one, one of the, in the Homeric hymn, and I took that out today, in the Homeric hymn to, to Hermes, um, the first goddess, let me read you this if I may. Yeah, please. Um, this is in the Homeric hymn to Hermes and um, 
And this is very interesting because it says of all the gods he first honored in song. So, you know, when he strings, he strings the, um, the, the tortoise shell together with, with the seven strings and he, and he makes music and Apollo is listening thinking, oh, this is pretty good. Yeah. Um, so it says of all the gods Hermes first honored in song, the mezzanine, the mezzanine, I can, very difficult name, yeah. mezzanine. The mother of the muses was the first, for she was assigned Maya's son. So in this little, little reference, we get the idea that Hermes is assigned to the mezzanine because of his music and his words. And the mezzanine, of course, was the, um, the mother of the muses. She is memory but she's feeling memory, she's sensual memory, she is memory that has to do with lunar memory. You know, the memory that's in our bodies, the memories that's, that's in our feelings, the memories that's in a song on a radio, mm. you know, or, or the memory that's in, in a kind of sound that we hear or a smell. And this is Mnemosyne's memory, it's lunar memory, feeling memory. And that's who Mercury, Hermes, first um, gives uh, honor to. I find that I find that very powerful for me because mm. it says that Mercury and the Moon really have a strong relationship together, and I would say in modern scientific thinking we could say that's the left side of the brain and the right side of the brain. So here you are at, in 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 coming into night, um, being tasked with teaching children how to do day tasks when their side of the brain now wants to go to the other side. You know, mm. tell stories tell stories about their day um, mm. and so on. So. And it was, uh, yeah, I really want to get back to Mnemosyne. Mnemosyne, oh, how do we, how do we say it? it? <laughs> so, yeah, and, and speak some more about that because, um, you know, if I really go back to that time, it was in the middle of my Saturn return. It was 2009. I, uh, and I couldn't sleep. It was the first time I was having trouble oh. with sleep, and um, and and the whole setup of that first six months I was there before I took on the kindergarten, I just had, um, yeah, I was just there was nothing really to do in the day, and then I'd start work at five p.m. and work till nine, and that was my day, and so the whole, the whole setup of my day was really upside down and backwards, and uh, and I felt myself sort of in this quite liminal. Uh, quite liminal space ne never really it's it, it, there's a line in fight club about insomnia he says with insomnia you're never really awake and you're never really asleep um and and so that that where you uh, which is not um honoring the the tides and the rhythms of the moon right it's not really honoring and i just come out of a year of living in bali where i was very much um unplugged and 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 very much in the rhythm rhythm of the cycles in a completely different way, learning craniosacral therapy and all of the things that I was learning at that time. There was so much about the wisdom of the body and taking people's consciousnesses down into the body consciousness. And then suddenly shock, wake up, I'm wake up to go to sleep half, half, you know, I'd get to the end of these days at 9 PM and just like, where am I? What's happening? And like you say, five till nine, the sun was up when I went in, down when I went out, and so Mercury was around, as we know, right around the horizon all the time. Yeah, yeah and um, you know that that feeling of being stuck in the day world or pulled in, like 
like the extension of the day world into the night world i think is is a theme in all of this that i that i feel you know the poetics of that or the feeling of that our our modern predicament the ever encroaching day world it's even in astrology because if you read most people who write or talk about mercury they talk about him as a very day in the day world the mind yeah just like yeah whereas mind of course yeah includes all all of the other i mean mercury is communication but it's also it's also the sense of communicating in a way that stirs my my my, um uh, lunar lunar self but there you were yes at, at trying being tasked with the, the impossible task, um, you know, that the impossible task of, of trying to teach information um, to, to kids who said are, are already tired that want to go to sleep, that the sleep that they could have had <laughs> would probably, you know, have given the, some information to coalesce mm. what they had learned during the day. Um, and so it's quite an interesting time for you when you say, therefore, you were, you had insomnia. You know, you were no longer able to um, be pulled into the richness of sleep. Yeah, it's it's a kind of powerful way to think about it. But that's our whole. I see that very much as part of a huge thing that's happening in our culture, which gets worse all the time. Yeah, as if learning is always always on that particular. Um, left brain um, mm. way rather than you know embracing the other side yeah I'm just thinking about then when at night time then I'm just like I'm really trying to I've never really sat here and, and thought about like where's Mercury in the sky at any given time right like right now it's it's almost midday here so we can get a sense of his closeness to the sun he's going to be or he's just behind the sun at the moment, right? So he's he's going to be there, and then so in the day he's up there, and then he makes the transition, and then he's down, and he is actually down in the underworld for all of that time that we're sleeping. You know that that, and uh, and I feel like this is such an important conversation as far as the the what how you learn through your dreaming, right? Because there is an element of dreaming that's processing the information of the day putting it into image form, returning it back to psyche, therefore, making it imaginal, making it an imagery, making it mythic, making it, giving it a storyline, wrapping things up and, you know, maybe not fully wrapping it up, but however, wherever Mercury wants to take your dreaming mind. And when we're encroaching on that and not letting that happen, then actually uh, even the day Mercury is never really awake in the in the words of that of uh, Chuck Palahniuk in the, in Fight Club. So he's, that's the part where by never really going to sleep, by never really um, getting that side of Mercury's process, you don't really get the other side of the process either. Your your thinking becomes stagnant and yeah yeah, yeah. it it becomes uh, it becomes. It it, beca- it does. It becomes concretized. It becomes facts and information that can be be just recycled all the time. And that's all facts and information to recycle. It's like in our astrology, we just keep recycling. <laughs> Hold a minute. Let's get more into the kind of like 
madness of it all, <laughs> yeah. the wildness and madness of it all. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm I'm thinking now too about uh, well the day night the day world the night world that that that's so such a very powerful metaphor. Like you were saying um, before, I, I've written this somewhere when thinking about the day world the night world how how our culture allows us to take um, the day world into the, into our bedrooms. You know, we take we take our phones and our laptops and everything into our bedrooms. But they won't allow the night world into the boardrooms. You know, they, they don't allow the night world to come into any kind of boardroom meeting, you know, in the daytime where somebody said, oh, I had a dream about this. Maybe we should follow this. You know? um, I think that, you know, we're really we, we really have cut off the kind of nodal um, transition between the, the two worlds. And, and this is where we honor Mer Mercury and Hermes that helps us. But I was also thinking also of um, his very strong relationship also with, with Hestia. Um, and in, in the Homeric came to Hestia, we learn that, um, that these two are paired. And, and I just love them as a pair because um, Hermes takes the travelers to the door of Hestia and she welcomes them in. And, um, and then of course he leaves, he comes back and gets them when they're ready to come out. But, when they when they go into the the, the 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 house of Hestia, they gather at the hearth. You know, they gather at the hearth, and that's the the sense of the spiritual um, doors that he also takes us to. You know, so he has that strong uh, knowing when it's time to also lead us into the in, into the interiority of who we are. Hmm. Oftentimes, through a spiritual crisis or mm. something like that. But that's also very hermetic. Mm. And in our culture, again, we try, rather if somebody's having those kind of, uh, you know, experiences, we, 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 we can't really, in our culture, acknowledge them as something um, much more natural. We seem to want to medicate it or take it away or, <laughs> mm. you, know, you know, get off the point here. But, but Hestia is another one that's very, very strong in terms of, of a relationship with Hermes. Amazing. Can you tell us some more? I know, of, I only know of Hestia that she's goddess of the hearth and that's all I have. Can you tell us more about this figure? Well, well, yes, Hestia was the first Olympian. She was the first one born, the first one, therefore, um, the first, um, you know, uh, daughter of Rhea and, um, and Kronos. And of course, Kronos swallows her first. So, mm. um, but, but where she is, so interesting. Hestia was always uh, known to be the, the central hearth figure. She also was the only one, she's Vesta in the Roman pantheon, she's the only one who was not um, violated or abused um, as all the goddesses and heroines and you know, it's like she represents some part of us that's so sacred. It can't be touched by anything, you know, it's, mm -hmm. it's the self. And so they oftentimes sort of suggest that she was the goddess of, of hospitality. You know, she welcomed visitors into her domain. She represents the hearth of the city. So she represents city hall, the, 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 the fires that burn all the time outside, outside city hall. Zeus always um, toasted her as a first goddess. Mm. Um, the center of the, the city. Uh, when, when one had a meal, one always uh, would recognize Hestia first. Mm. So she's the first goddess. And, um, and, and she's powerful in that sense that she, she takes both, both the guests and the ghosts 
and she welcomes them together because that's her hospitality, the ghosts and the guests. Mm. It's the same root. We get the same root from guest, ghost, host, hospitality, hospital. Um, so she was about offering hospice to, mm. to us all, yeah, offering the hospice to us. And Mercury knew when it was time to take them. Now, today we think about hospices and hospitals as places where, oh, God, I want, don't want to go there um, because they're now devoid of Hestia. You know, there's no heart in the hospital. Hmm. So, yeah, so she, there's not a lot known about her because she remained, she wasn't aloof by any means, but she just didn't want to get involved in all the bloody political dramas, the rest of them. Yeah. <laughs> leave, leave the world to that. She says, I have, I have this sacred place. Wow. So she's like, she's like this sense of, yeah, the part of ourselves that don't get trampled by that world. Um, mm. So she's very, very, very powerful. Don't forget, by the time the Romans came along, they called them the Vestal Virgins. So she was virginal in the truest sense, in the fact that she represents a place in you and I, not just in women, but also in men, that um, is, is, a, is a, what we might like to call an innocent place, but more I'd say a sacred place. Mm. Yeah, innocence and sacredness. I've been thinking about the the innocence recently since um listening to jason holly talk about scorpio i don't want to take us too far down that track though but the uh but the innocence underneath the innocence underneath these processes and it sounds like hestia is a goddess representing that i'm also thinking mm -hmm. the fact that she was the first born makes her also the sixth born um because it's in that order right that where there's a everybody's swallowed by Cronus except for zeus who's the sixth born so he's like the sixth and then the firstborn and then everybody comes yeah, out after good. that so absolutely right absolutely right yeah she's the last one out first last one in one last out. one out. <laughs> yeah so she's kind of the she's an interesting oldest sibling and younger sibling of of zeus right so and, and which yeah. makes me think she's on that side and on that side um and also i even think about the houses of the first and the sixth of that of that essential mm -hmm. self of the first and then the sixth of the hospitality this is just oh, where absolutely. my mind went with it just now. Oh, absolutely. I, I like to think about her as a kind of goddess of the sixth house. Um, yeah, because right. She, she is that kind of um, ritual of the everyday life. You know, she honored the everyday life, mm. the everyday, you know, the simplicity of life, which we've, which, which we've lost. Um, but yes, yeah, so Hermes brings, brings the travelers to her door. You know, like Hermes out there, as you said, in the marketplace, he's on the roads, he's, you know, he's coming down from Mount Olympus up there he's somewhere. Where is he? Uh, he's hiding behind that rock just and and then he 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 meets the guests when they're ready and he takes them to Hestia. It's a very, very short hymn. Once again, a little bit like that, that one little line I read to you um, out of the Hermetic um, um, Homeric hymn, but it, those short lines tell us that those are little fragments that were left over from the oral culture, that those real, really strong fragments, you know, mm. tell us about that link between the two. Mm. And, you, and you've, you've said to me before about Hermes or Mercury having a link on the one hand to cancer, and I, I'm interested to talk about that today as the sun's now in cancer and yet Mercury's still in Gemini. So we've got that, um, that interesting 
moment to be talking about this. And then also you said about the link between him and the goddesses, which almost takes me like he's a link to a to a time before the hero worship, maybe, or yes. a, you know, this sort of thing. Love to hear yeah. thoughts. Well, I, 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 yes, I would certainly agree with that. Um, well, as I said, that's why I like linking him to this sense of the goddesses because he is that link. Because always in the goddesses you get that that older link, or in the titans you get the older link. You get the you know the pre-rational links. Mm. You know we we think Mercury so uh, and Hermes is so rational, and rational is the way to be because that's we're hold it a minute here. He's got the links to the pre-rational, which is where which fills out the gaps. Um, so yes, uh, Cancer. <laughs> well, um, the interesting thing was that Cancer has not always been um, known known as the crab um, in 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 the thoughts of the chaldeans they saw that as the gate of men and that i love this because they often thought that cancer was where the souls the, the entrance way of the souls to incarnate into the human into the human body you know so again similar to 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 more modern ways of thinking about cancer as, as mother but but it was more a portal that opened that the souls could um recognize but also um in those days, it was seen as the leading sign as well. Now, when I say those days, I mean before the zodiac was was um, uh, you know systematized, if you will, into the twelve uh, um, signs that we have today. It's a very faint constellation. But what's so interesting is that the um, Chinese and the um, Babylonians saw it as as a as a tortoise, not a crab. And um, the tortoise, of course, is the Homeric came to Hermes. That Hermes finds it on the first day, sees the tortoise, and recognizes its shell, and creates the lyre. Mm. But it was Plato who said, "Oh, um, Hermes then is equated with the sign of Cancer because of the tortoise, because he made the first day he took his life and craft, and he made that out of a lyre or a shell." So I just found that interesting that we have a link. Um, to to Hermes through the tortoise mm. uh, and so on and once again just a little little reference yeah. <laughs> but nonetheless it's still a reference that reminds me of that particular um, link yeah yeah we were talking <clears throat> so that's that's fascinating and I, I'd love to get deeper into that as far as what what Mercury's relationship is with cancer beyond that it, or how where that imagery takes us into because in a way that's also you said that uh, earlier when you said his his connection to Nemosini or let's just mm -hmm. say it that way, Nemosini. And uh, we'll, we'll we, try our best. Yeah. We're, which we're is, such, this, is, this is the other thing. Oh, sorry, I'm interrupting you. But, go ahead. Yeah. You know, material people have a real hard time pronouncing things because there's so much going on. <laughs> you know, and synchronicity. And now I'm going to tell you another story, but don't you lose where you were. <laughs> I remember when I first went to classics, and the reason, one of the reasons, because I could never pronounce a classical name, still can't, and so I did my, uh, you know, my BA in, uh, in classics archaeology, my masters. I remember the first class I ever went to. Now we had the Caron Center, and we, were, you know, the Caron Center, and so it was, it was many people knew us through the Caron Center, and I'm in my first classics class. And the professor says, you know, why are you studying and why are you studying? So I, I pulled something out of the air and I said, well, I'm studying because I like to pronounce the names, you know, of its, of its class. 
And he jumped up out of his seat and he said to me, that's a fantastic thing. Take the, take the um, god or take the mythological figure Chiron, for instance, he says to me. <laughs> and he writes it on the board. You can say it, Chiron, Chiron. And I'm sitting there in the class dumbfounded thinking, how does this happen? Like, <laughs> he doesn't know me from Adam. I work with Chiron every day. I've got my little sign, the Chiron Center, that I see every day that I pass out of. And this is the one god out of a pantheon of millions of people. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, Chris, we'll say Nemesony or Nemosony or whatever. And it, it, so let's go with Nemesony. And I like that you've given us permission as children of Mercury or for all those listening who are children of Mercury, whether you know it or you don't know it. Um, but it's a permission to uh, mispronounce, especially because it's Absolutely. from an ancient time and often we only Absolutely. see it written. Yeah. I used to pronounce Antigone, Antigone, and everybody used to laugh. Like, oh, oh, and then I learned to pronounce Antigone. And then the classic scholar said, oh, no, you were right. <laughs> <laughs> There we go. That's perfect. How can you be right? Who cares? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Who cares? Okay, it's the so story. We're, we're back to cancer. We're back to cancer. And, um, and well, what was I saying about that then? I can't remember. He's taken my... He's taken... Oh, yeah. Actually, I was saying that... Uh, so Mercury and Hermes connection to cancer, not only through the tortoise and the tortoise shell and the creating music from the tortoise shell, but also Nemesony herself, who is, who, whose name is roughly uh, translated or means memory, right? But more like a cellular yeah. memory or, an, or yeah, a lunar memory. Yeah, lunar memory for Connected sure. Connected yeah. to the lake in the underworld? Is that? No, no, no. She, um, no, she was a titan. Um, which lake in the underworld are you thinking of? Sorry, I'm thinking, what's this? Lethe and the other Lethe. lake, which... Yeah. The, Oh, Lethe and yeah, yeah. Well, actually, sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, it's 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 the seat of memory. You're absolutely right. It's the seat of monosomy. You're absolutely right. Sorry. Yes. So what happened is when the when the um, pilgrims were put into the cave, oftentimes held by their feet and dumped, put into the cave, stayed there for five days, um, and then they were pulled out <laughs> and sat on the seats of monosomy. So you're absolutely right. They were seats. Mm. They were like the seats of 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 um, knowing and forgetting, and that's why when the heroes like it was Pyrrhus and um, Pyrrhus and a little come to me, and they went into the underworld to grab Persephone, and Hades welcomed him and he said, "Oh, just sit in these seats," and they sat in the seats of forgetfulness, oh, no. <laughs> not the seats of memory. So they forgot why they why are we here? You wow. Know, what are we supposed to be doing? Yeah. So those are seats in the underworld. You're absolutely right. So, wow. Back to where you were. <laughs> well, so, <clears throat> oh, because Hermes is playing tricks now. He's bringing all these other connections in. I remember um, Douglas Adams, uh, you know, he's he had the book, The Meaning of Lith, The Meaning of Lith or something like that, or The Meaning of Lith, something like this, where he was just making up words. And I got so inspired by that, I started making up words myself and getting my friends in on it. I even started a little um, Facebook group called Ipsophiliacs Anonymoustache, which uh, is probably still out there somewhere. But, um, but he said, he said, he started to name just things that would happen. And one of the things that he, that he named was when you walk into a kitchen 
and you have no idea why you walked in there. You know you walked into the room for some reason, but you once you're in there, you have no idea, and then you just have to walk back out. And often once you've walked back out, you remember, oh, yeah, I went in there to get my keys or whatever. And he's like, yeah. don't worry, next time you do that, you're just woking. That was his... Yeah. So the word that he made for that was woking, which is, I think, he literally just took the place in, in the UK, in London, the little borough in, in the UK, and named it that randomly, completely randomly. But... um. But that's, that's very hermetic, very hermetic, because once you walk into a room um, and, and forget, you have to walk out again. And that's what that's the whole idea. Part of the mercurial process is 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 forgetting because, yeah. you know, and that's what, where you started, because you sort of started with the idea. Oh, I can't remember what I was gonna say. <laughs> <laughs> and it was about we remember through feeling oftentimes. Mm. Yeah, it's through through, you know, through or. We have to go back to where we started. Like you have to go out of the room to where you started in order to remember why you started that particular journey. That's so interesting because I, I remember hearing once and felt that it's very true that um, that memories cluster around emotional states. Mm-hmm. And so you're in an emotion and that's why when we're in that kind of like frustrated or angry place, like flooding us is all these other times I was in that angry or emotional frustrated place. Like, oh, and then it happened here and here and here and here. So it takes us on the journey of every time we were in that emotion um, through our lives. So that, that even that as a link between um, emotion and memory is interesting. Very much. Very much. Yeah. Well, I mean, Mercury keeps taking it from me. I was, I was, I was wondering if we may talk about dementia um, as an as an element of that, or if maybe too sort of heavy to go into there. Because I'm just thinking about like it's something that it, it's something of you know, my grandma has has pretty severe dementia. She's turning 104, so you know, she's turning 104 in August. Um, but I always thought to enter her world, to not make her try to remember things, feels like a key to, you know, relating almost like, yeah, anyway, I don't, I'm not sure this is the right path to go down there. Yeah, it, it's, it's, oh, it's, it's a field that's, yeah, probably very difficult. But what I always, what I do with um, dementia, people that I know, um, I just enter their world. Yeah, I enter their world and it's a hell of a lot of fun. Um, you know, I that's all I do because you know I often wonder. You know, yeah. But I think it. it yeah, I don't know whether it's broad enough or our, or our. I don't know. It's such a special state. Um, I guess if we didn't demonize it so much, it might be. <laughs> we might be able to understand it a bit more. Mm. But it's a difficult one. But yeah. being in the present with them, I think, is the, is the best we can do. Being, you know, what they see. See it with them. What they see, we see it. Yeah, let, yeah. Let's try and see it with them. What they say, well, let's try to, you know, talk about that. Yeah. And follow, yeah. I follow them. I don't want to leave them. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But I was thinking about um, part of the work of craniosacral therapy, which is what I learned in sort of while I was learning astrology. It does feel like that of, of sort of... One, you know the person's lying there on the table it's a very gentle touch therapy and then and then you sort of take these things called the tides um where there's a cri level which is kind of the upper level it's very now that i think about it mercury is involved in this process for sure 
the craniorhythmic rhythmic impulse is just the, like this upper world day world we might say where you know here's the things that are happening and then we go into the mid tide where things kind of extend out a little bit and we get a, it's almost a little bit altered and that can take us all the way down to what they call the long tide and these were these were expressions that were named by the osteopaths long ago where but then once we enter out of that top world it's like well there's all of the images and the memories and everything and i think so much of the healing is in there whereas craniosacral tries to be more like a physical it tries to orient itself because it's it's hanging off of osteopathy it wants to orient itself to the physical more so than the psyche but i've always found that the actual process itself is very deeply embedded in psyche because it feels very guy it you know you've just given me the word hypnagogue um it feels very hypnagogic i think you might need to define the word for me a little better though no no you're, you're taking people down right you're taking people down that's what that's what Hermes does, but you, you, you know, but, and, and your role, you see, I think that the role, uh, you know, of many, of uh, many therapists is, 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 you know, we have to be there with the person. You see, you're also there with the person you've taken them down, but really in many ways, wouldn't it be fair to say that you're witnessing at that point, mm. you know, you're witnessing their feelings that are coming up. You're witnessing yeah. what they're describing. You're not actually trying to say that this then is connected to that. You were no. just witnessing that. No, exactly. Mm. So, so you see that you've been taken down into the into the older old, older realm of mnemosyne. <laughs> you know, remember her daughters of the nine muses. That's where you get the word museum from. Our psyches are like a museum of all all the experiences that that we've had, not just personally but also collectively mm. so yeah you, you know what what you're speaking about is 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 a very therapeutic process um you know and i guess sometimes what ha has happened in therapeutic processes they've got very defined haven't they well this this should lead here or that should lead there rather than right. just witnessing right. that particular process yeah which is again you know it, I, I think it's just it's been it's it's part of the. It, you you're Brian's currently teaching a course called Rewilding Psyche, and I and I loved the way that you have been referring to that as, as sort of allowing the, um, allowing the psyche to be, to be as it is, to not have to put all of these sort of like rules and guidelines and prisons in a way around around psyche and to work to work with it. I guess on its own terms or on the soul's terms, as is the name of the podcast. Um, but it's difficult, especially even when the person coming in is like, okay, so what do I get from this? Or what's my, what are the results that I can expect? And, uh, you know, why should I, <laughs> this kind of, this men mentality, which comes from the, the obviously day world training and it's totally understandable and I get it. Um, but it's almost like, well, those willing to, to, to to go maybe maybe that's the transition to Hestia in that to trust that uh, that Hermes will take you to the door and then and then that's not his role anymore just like there's Hestia in there and then you warm yourself by the fire or um, mm. or to be to to stay in those images and to trust that the 
the as you were telling us uh, on on Wednesday, you know, as the emergent images, to trust in those images that are emerging and and trust that they are themselves full of that wisdom and and able to help us along our way. Yeah, as you're speaking, it's interesting. The words that come to mind is how we try to make sense of things, <laughs> mm. um, but but. We, we limit that sense of sense to a kind of a thinking modality, whereas when we think about the word sense, we're talking about sensual. We're talking about mm. not just what we think, we're talking about what we smell and what mm. we hear and what we, you know, everything that's embedded that can be loosened up through the senses. So when we try to make sense of something, then I would, I would suggest that we expand our view of that. It's not about making sense of something because we're trying to make sense of things chronologically or literally or rationally but but when we do that we get stuck in a paradigm of of very 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 close paradigm mm. yeah so <laughs> you remind me of language and hermes you know when that made you know, making sense of something yeah, that's a new thought for me now <laughs> mm. and this is what's so interesting about um, about Her hermes and about conversations chris so what we're doing is is in in conversing it's like it, it is mercurial's realm uh, and hermes realm because converse to be with the verse to be with the rhythm mm -hmm. to be with the soul to be with the song and remember that was a song he made the songs mm. he was the first one um so it's to be with that verse and once we allow ourselves then to go on the discourse all over the place we we may not arrive at some sense of you know, rational ending, but something has occurred um, that always won't, that always then keeps moving between the two of us, and that's what the oral tradition is about, isn't it? Mm. So words fail us in turn if we use them in in such a logical, rational way. Mm. But you're right about your clients, um, and I think that eventually what happens is is the clients come that also do. <laughs> yeah. want to hear that other side of you that's what happens that's yeah part we're of suddenly our at, at this point that's of part. uh at this point in my practice it just is happening like that which there's always there's always a little bit of magic to there it's like well how did you get here you know how did this person that sort of arrive in uh in here which feels a lot like you know hermes is hermes is bringing somebody to where they need to be in that sense as well and and um and then you just do your thing and and follow the emergent wisdom, but it's interesting that you that what you had for us there, by going back to the senses, it puts me in the space of the that uh, that Mercury, I mean that Gemini, is in between Taurus on the one hand and Cancer on the other, and I'd love to get into that right because we were just talking before coming on air of um, of the cave in which. Hermes is born, the tortoise shell, these are some of the images, Mnemosyne, that's another image relating back to cancer. And then he goes out and the first thing he finds are those cows which are clearly a Taurian totem or a Taurian animal, um, the bull or the cow being related to related to Taurus. And then he takes those those cows. So I guess it's interesting to to envision that as part of the wheel of the zodiac where, where Gemini sits in between those two signs between the senses I guess what took me there was the Taurian senses well you know um, one of the things we can say to 
about Mercury is that he is the in-between God. <laughs> mm. And as you point out, so you know, see, so we can we we can start playing and uh, with that. You point out that he's between um, Taurus and Cancer. You know, the, the 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 those two. I guess we call them more um, Yin signs, feminine signs, and uh, and how he how he can then um, use both of those both of those functions in his function of learning, of expressing, mm -hmm. all that. Yeah, so, so there's a lot there to begin to think about. Mm -hmm. and, and I think what you've demonstrated by saying that is that you've demonstrated the um, metaphoric wisdom of Zodiac. Mm. It, it's, not, it's not this means that, Taurus means this, Gemini means that, cancer means that. <laughs> what it is, it's metaphoric, and it helps us think through things that are very important, join mm. things together. Mm. I'm also just thinking about Hermes or Mercury in between Leo and Libra on the other side of that as well. Oh, oh the, the Virgo and... Yeah. Um, so yeah. in his rulership of Virgo, and then it just it made me think about how the connection between the self, the, the Leo self, the sun, and connection to the Libra um, relationship and how perhaps Mercury can also have a function in between those two as well. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think that we can then begin to see that he can have, he can have a, a, a function, just waving goodbye, uh, <laughs> I, a function to... Uh, anything that's in between, you know, mm. like, you know, that that's what's so interesting. Like, that's what's so interesting. Like the other the other goddess, of course, that good old um, Hermes had 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 a um, relationship with was Aphrodite. You know, right? Oh, and, you know, and they have this. So we have the Hermaphrodite. <laughs> good, mm. good example. You know, mm. oh, he's he's in between. Like, there's a kind of a sense of, you know, this in betweenness. And if we make it duality, then you know we get caught in this binary kind of thinking. But but if we if we make it in between, <laughs> you know we, we have both. You know we have oh we have Cancer and Taurus. You know like oh, you know I don't know. It's 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 such powerful. Um, he's such a powerful god. Yeah, I'm glad you like him. <laughs> I do. I like him a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm not sure where you, where we're at. Are we at a wind down place, or are we at a just another final doorway, or what do you think? Um, well, I think what's so interesting. It's interesting because what you you've um, you voiced is is uh, you know like how do we then read? How do we read? You know, mm. How do we read the times? <laughs> mm. You know, like where are we at? <laughs> yeah, and probably and probably. You know that's where where we agreed at the beginning. Like there'd be, um, I, well, I thought it said there an hour and a half. So, so we are probably we're at that time. And 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 how do we then um, summarize perhaps yeah. what it is? Um, and how does one summarize um, a, a materialness? Um, as a, for me, maybe that's what we could do. Is maybe for me, I would go back to that word conversation, dialogue. I love the word discourse because it sort of means dis, not there, underworld. He's God of the underworld and, and course, or oh, the path I'm on, discourse is all over. So 
I would recognize it as that, that, that Hermes is, is this God who takes us places um, that are oftentimes unfamiliar. I, I remember as a kid when I hitchhiked all around Europe, I, I must have been thinking about that as waking up the other day. Every day was different. I didn't know whose car I was going to get in. I don't know where I was going to sleep. And I remember, Jesus, I woke up sometimes in, in, in groves, in, 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 in olive groves in Greece. And the women who were picking the olives would be looking at me. I woke up one time in, in, in Yugoslavia, what's called in a, in, in a truck kind of depot. I didn't realize it was so dark <laughs> when I put my sleeping bag down. And um, I felt honored to be able to be on the road, um, which to me was, was being guided by, by Hermes. These, these, so the transitions that I experienced along the way, and you know, we have to think about the road of life, and he is the guide on the, on the road of life, you know, and, mm. and that's where... So I see him as a guiding force. I, I kind of trust my wild thoughts sometimes. Mm. I kind of look around and try to see what's there. Um, if I'm lost, ask for directions, you know, <laughs> make conversation. Mm. So I don't want to pinpoint him into no. anything. No, but he will refuse that anyway, being the that's when you invite the tricks aside when you when you yeah. declare exactly what he is. But yeah, I I I hear that and really honoring one of the things that I talked about last week was the the element of reverence and irreverence. And I think that the modern world is um has got it all a little bit twisted as far as that goes. And and sometimes we can think about the trickster as just an irreverent figure. And I think about Hermes and Mercury as far from that, actually. I think he's irreverent where irreverence is needed. And, uh, and, but deeply, deeply reverent where it is needed. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and he's humor. I mean, I mean we, we were laughing earlier about forgetting. I love that because I, I didn't say it then, but oh, that's the humorous side of Hermes. Yeah. And, and irreverence is so wonderful. Like, everybody tones that down now. Yeah. The other day, a daughter of a of, of really dear friend of mine, I said something a bit irreverent to her. <laughs> and she, she in return said, really gave it to me. And I said to her, I said, didn't your father ever teach you to talk to elders in a, in a proper way? And she said, yes, he did, but not to you. Well, we roared laughing. You know, <laughs> it, was, it was just one of those things that we both were caught in... Um, knowing that this, we were playing a game, yeah. we were playing a game, you know, right. and, and she knew I was playing and I knew she was playing and it was, we laughed, we really laughed, yeah. and, you know, and so it's that, it's that irreverence um, that can really open up. Now there are very, very, very difficult wounds that we all carry that get triggered with irreverence at times. Yeah. And I am unfortunately being, being the, type I am, I do trigger those now and again, but I know in myself that was not my intention. Mm. And, um, and then I, and I find that I try in those times to hold that, mm. hold that in the lunar way, because yeah. I've been touched. I've been touched as well by this pain that I've triggered. Mm. So it's a tough, tough one, but I would agree. Let's be irreverent more <laughs> and reverent. And reverent. And so, yeah, so many, so many threads and so many things open up, but, uh, but rather than open up, I'll let the, I'll let, 
I'll let Hermes take us into the nighttime a little bit here and, and um, uh, rather than back up into the day. And so I want to have, I want to, I want to close with a rev- with reverence, with, with a reverence, which could sound like irreverence because he's always around, isn't he? Playing with our words, but with reverence to Hermes, to Mercury, to the God, um, and to all of the other goddesses that he's often linked with, we've named a few today. We've named, you know, the, the in-between of Taurus and Cancer. Um, we've named Hestia, Nemesini. Um, we've got um, he- Hecate is sort of linked to him as well, right? And 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 so his connection to all of those and... and um, and so not when we when we give reverence to Hermes and Mercury, we give reverence to all of those. And I think, you know, like for the listeners to to give some reverence to those who have shown you the way in your life, the mentors and the teachers, um, and the, the way showers. And personally for me, Brian, I give thanks to you as as a mentor of mine and and the way that you've shown for me and being the a teacher of mine and a, and a mentor of mine and a Hermes figure of mine who's shown me so many wonderful things already in the time that we've been connected. So thank you. Thank you. And I will leave you with a very important hermetic statement, Chris, yeah. that the student always surpasses the teacher. That's, that's mm. the truth. Any good teacher will be surpassed by each of the students. So thank you for that. Um, thank you for inviting me and those who listen thank you for listening thanks for listening to On the Souls Terms find us online at onthesoulsterms.com and on Instagram at onthesoulsterms this podcast is produced in Vancouver, British Columbia which we would like to acknowledge is on the unceded territories of the Coast Salish peoples Tsleil-Waututh, Squamish and Musqueam Tune in next time for more of the wisdom of stories, approaching what the ancients knew on the soul's terms.